So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard this story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thanks, Carolyn. Another uh, interesting story in the saga that is Genesis. Uh, and important as God's word for us. I'm going to pray and ask God that he would help us to understand it. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for the book of Genesis. Thank you for the story that it tells of your dealings with your ancient people. Ask that you would be with us now as we reflect particularly on the life of Joseph and the way that you worked in and through his life so that we might see the way that you are working in and through our lives as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, chatting with someone recently whose life has fallen apart over the last few years uh, and she wonders as a result if God actually loves her. And while she acknowledges that Jesus' death on that cross was God's love back then, uh, she feels that that was, well, over 2,000 years ago, uh, and she's wanting some evidence of God's love now, some sign of his presence, Uh, but she just can't see it or feel it, because her life isn't getting any better. I wonder what would you say to her? How can we know that God is with us now, particularly when life is so full of hardship, heartache, pain, and loneliness. Well, I think Genesis 39 might have something uh, to say to that. Uh, Firstly, as we see God is with Joseph in the good and the bad. Secondly, just like he was with Jesus, uh, 
so that thirdly, we might know that he's with us, particularly when it's hard. But first, let's uh, recap on where we've been uh, so far in Genesis, quickly. In chapter 38, last week, uh, we had a sidebar to the main story of, uh, about Joseph, a sidebar to remind us that Joseph's story fits in an even bigger story, uh, the story of Judah's family line, which ends in the Messiah. But now, in chapter 39... We hop back onto the story of Joseph again uh, after Joseph's brothers have sold him into uh, to some Ishmaelite uh, slavers they, who then sell him on to a high-ranking Egyptian officer, a guy named Potiphar. And this works out pretty well for Potiphar, which brings us to the first point, because God is with Joseph. Uh, it's obvious, we're told this four times in this chapter, and Joseph's success and the blessings that he brings to others, it, it testifies to this, even Potiphar. Uh, a godless man recognises uh, this in verse 3. We saw it. Uh, his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success. Everything that he did. God is with Joseph. And later, the prison warden, warden sees this too. Uh, verse 20, you were told, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed kindness, him kindness, and granted him favour in the eyes of the, of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God's with Joseph. Uh, Joseph's success is a clear sign of that to others. But what about in between all the success? What about in the trouble? The trouble that com- comes with uh, Potiphar's wife. Is God with Joseph then? Uh, Because there seems to be a definite shift in the tone of the story from verse 6, where we read, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Uh Uh-oh. You can sense the change, can't you? Nothing good can come from that. Uh, Eye candy tends to rot the teeth of your mind. And Potiphar's wife has already got a dirty mind. So verse 7, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and, with the subtlety of Cardi B, says, come to bed with me. Joseph refuses over and over, saying, verse 8, with me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Joseph is faithful. Faithful to what's been given to him, faithful to his master Potiphar, and faithful to God. As he says there in verse 9, How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? But clearly Potiphar's wife doesn't care what God wants. Uh, From here on I'm going to call her Potty's wife. Uh, Potty mouth, potty mind, seems fitting. So she wants Joseph... Day after day, she pesters him for sex. See that in verse 10. She even wrestles him out of a cloak to get it, but he runs away from her, and so finally, in spite, she frames him. Potiphar takes the bait and throws Joe in jail. Now, in all this trouble, we see Joe, he's sticking with God, right? But we're not explicitly told that God is with Joseph. I mean, he is... But maybe the way that it's written here, particularly in this section as it's framed by explicit, explicit mention of God being with Joe, that for Joe to be left alone in the narrative here with Potty's wife might be a clever way of capturing how this kind of trouble might feel. My first share house experience was a uh, dingy place in Brisbane, leased by an old guy. Uh, a couple of mates 
from uni and I, we moved in. And then not long after that, uh, the old guy's very challenging family decided to move in too. Uh, think Corey Worthington, but not so cool. Uh, and so my mates and I found another place and we planned to leave on a particular day and we knew it was the right thing to do to let the old man know ahead of time. So the three of us, uh, <laughs> not so intrepid, uh, walked to the kitchen uh, where the old man and his whole family just happened to be uh, there for some reason. Anyway, I popped up and said, hey, uh, we need to tell you something. And as I looked around for support, my mates had disappeared. <laughs> And they'd left me there, standing in the doorway, <laughs> to break the news to a very grumpy crowd. Maybe you've had a similar experience, where you've gone and done the right thing, expected some backup, especially from God, and instead it feels like you've been left in the doorway of whatever hardship it is to suffer the consequences alone. But the beginning and the end of an episode might tell a different story to how you're feeling, feeling in the middle of it. Because as we know with Joseph, if it wasn't for his initial success with Potiphar, he'd never got in trouble with his wife, but then he'd never have landed in Pharaoh's jail for bigger and better opportunities and success with Pharaoh himself later on. And in this, we see God is with Joe, in the good and the bad, for an even greater good. Which brings us to the second point. As God was with Joseph in the good and the bad, so he was with Jesus, and the reason I bring that up is because Joseph is a little bit of a taster of Jesus. About four years ago or so, I was in a bottle and uh, on the counter was a selection of packeted beef jerky options, from the original to barbecue to spicy. Uh, and I'd never tried, well, I couldn't remember trying beef jerky before. So I thought, I'm going to have a crack. I'm going to try the original. So I tried the original, and that was okay. And then on another day, I said, I'll try the packet of barbecue. So that's what I did. That was okay too. Then I thought, you know what? I'm going straight to the top and getting the spicy jerky. Yeah. And that was pretty good. Until one day, I went on a picnic with Grace Hugh. You knew this was coming, Grace. And she brought along a container of beef jerky to share that she had made herself and cured it in some serious chilli. And it was incredible. It was incredible. I cried. <laughs> Mainly because of the chilli. But also because it was really, really good. It just tasted so good. It's like that first packet of beef jerky, the original, uh, with its muted flavours and slight hint of chemical, uh, was just setting me up to recognise and savour the explosion of rich flavour in Grace's true Beef jerky. And God being with Joseph in the good and the bad, here, on the way to the better, that's a little bit like that first packet of original beef jerky that I had. It's just setting us up to recognise and to appreciate what it ultimately means for God to be with someone in the good and the bad for the greatest good. Which, of course, is totally revealed in the true beef jerky that is Jesus. Because there's no doubt God was with Jesus as he walked the earth, doing many incredible things in God's name. Many recognise this. There's no doubt God was with him. And yet, as he suffers on that cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As if God were not there with him. As if God had abandoned him. 
as if at the time of most trouble, suffering and dying for doing precisely what God wanted him to do, there and then, it seems, God is not with him. But it had to be this way, as the Bible says elsewhere. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. God saw fit to make Jesus perfect through what he suffered. Perfect in the sense of perfectly qualified to save people. Perfectly qualified to represent people before God because he can sympathise with people who suffer and die. Perfectly qualified to stand in their place and suffer what they deserve of God's judgement. Perfectly qualified to suffer not only with people, but for people. Perfectly qualified to save people and bring them to glory. And to this end, he willingly suffered because he knew. He knew the end of the story. He knew. As the writer of Hebrews says later, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that ultimately God would not abandon him to the grave. He knew he'd be raised from the dead and reign with God at his right hand in glory. He knew it was only going to be through his suffering to glory that anyone else would share in that glory. And in all this, God was with him, even though he may have felt he wasn't. God was with Jesus in his suffering so that we might know God is with us in our suffering. Which brings us to the final point. As God was with Joseph in the good and the bad, so he is with Jesus. So that as we trust in Jesus, we might know God is with us, particularly when things are hard. Hours before he went to the cross, Jesus told his disciples this. It's exquisite. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. There is no sweeter words than these. Jesus alludes to... The Trinity here. He, as he, the Son, speaks of the Father and the Holy Spirit, he promises disciples then that he will give them the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, will live with them and in them. And since the Holy Spirit is from the Father and from Jesus, then through the Holy Spirit, Jesus can promise that although he's leaving this world, he's not leaving them as orphans. Although the world will not see him anymore as he goes to suffer and die and be buried, they will see him because he'll live back from the dead. And because of this, they will also live after they die. But until the day of their death, until the day of our death, the day Jesus then speaks of is the times that we're in now, the time we're in now since his resurrection from the dead, a time that we realise that he is in the Father and we are in him and he he is in us. This is a remarkable thing for Jesus to promise, to promise those who believe in him. 
He promises that they will know the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son and to be drawn into that. It's nothing short of being united with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is to live in God himself. Jesus promises God with us, profoundly with us and in us and us in him. You can't get God more with you than in Jesus. And as such then, we can be sure he is with us no matter what. As the Bible says elsewhere, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, the Apostle Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As God was with Joseph and our Saviour Jesus in their trials, so he is with those of, who, uh, those of us who trust in Jesus in our trials. Indeed, and not surprisingly, as with Joseph and Jesus on their way to perfection and glory through suffering... So it is with us. As the Bible says elsewhere, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God allows trials to not to crush us, but to complete us, to perfect us. The same word group in the Greek said of Jesus that he was made perfect through suffering is the same word used here in James of our faith maturing towards perfection or completeness, completeness through Jesus, through suffering. Suffering is, is not to make us despair that God isn't with us, but it's to know the pure joy of spiritually growing up of maturing in God. Suffering is not a sign that God's abandoned us. Jesus suffered that, that abandonment, for us on the cross. In Jesus, God promises to never leave us. Rather, suffering, it's an opportunity from God to grow up in Jesus. Particularly when we suffer for doing what God wants. A while ago I knew someone who was uh, very hesitant to pray because on the occasions that he had sincerely committed himself to praying, apparently terrible things then happened to him. So to avoid any more suffering, he decided not to pray. Now that might sound superstitious to us, but I wonder if we avoid doing something that we know what God wants because we're worried we might suffer for it. I'm sure Joseph knew something of the danger of sticking to his convictions, what that could bring. Why on earth did he avoid even being around Potiphar's wife in verse 10? But as we've seen, he needn't have worried if God was with him through the troubles, sticking to his faith brought on, and neither should we. So that even if it means we suffer directly in some way every time we prayed, for instance, to take that example, we'd still pray. 
Because in Jesus, God is with us, whether we feel it or not, and glory is set before us. Knowing this in Jesus, then, is to know it's far better to suffer praying than not. So if you're currently suffering for doing the right thing as a believer, and maybe you're feeling totally abandoned by God in the process, please know that in Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, God is with you. And that he wants you to know the joy of maturing in him through that struggle so that you persevere. So persevere in Jesus. Trust that your suffering has a shelf life and that it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in you upon Jesus' return. On the other hand, it may be that uh, you're in a bit, of, a bit of a dilemma at the moment, perhaps because you're at a crossroads uh, with something in your life. You know what God wants. You know what the right thing uh, to do is. But you worry that if you do it, you'll be causing a whole world of trouble. Trouble for yourself, or humiliation, or rejection, or loss of face, or of position, or even of a, a loss of job. And maybe you worry that it's not worth it. And maybe you've done a whole bunch of mental gymnastics to try and convince yourself not to go there, but it just won't go away. You just can't shake it. Please, trust God and choose what he wants you to do. Because even though it may not feel like like it as trouble comes your way as you do that, God is with you. As he was with Joseph, as he was with Jesus, your Saviour. So trust him and persevere through trials and see him work your good to grow you more in Jesus on your inevitable trajectory to glory. I mean, the dilemma for you at the moment might be in the area of relationships and sex, as it was for Joseph. It's worth, I think, comparing Joseph's attitude towards sex to his brother's attitude, Judah, in the previous chapter, chapter 38. There in chapter 38, we've got Judah, uh, he deliberately leaves his family to live amongst the promiscuous Canaanites, and, and this seems to be reflected then in his attitudes towards sex. He's happy to sleep with a prostitute, but then angry enough to see his daughter in law burn for being a prostitute. He's not only sexually immoral, he's a hypocrite. Whereas Joseph, while forced to leave his family and live amongst the promiscuous Egyptians, refuses to abandon God. And this is reflected in his attitudes towards sex. That God's way is for sex to be between a husband and a wife only. And that avoiding even the possibility of compromising a marriage is worth losing things over. Like a job. Or maybe even the freedoms that others enjoy. Like certain entertainment. Or social media. Or illicit affection from someone. Maybe that's a dilemma you have at the moment. Perhaps you're flirting with the idea of flirting with someone who's not your husband and your wife. Whether that's online, someone you've never met in person, or someone at work or college or at school or in a club or an association that you're a part of, maybe they're hitting on you or subtly making moves to tempt you to fool around with them, and maybe it's a really nice feeling, that feeling of being wanted, desired. But please trust that God is with you and that he'll be with you as you do what you know he wants you to do. And while it might mean that you suffer in one way or another, either from people thinking stuff about you, that you're a prude, that, you, that you're better than them, that you're a killjoy, or that you lose their attention 
and their affection and maybe even have them spreading untrue and unfair things about you, trust that God will bring it all to light in the end and that he'll use your troubles to grow you in your relationship with him in the meantime. Please trust that God is with you in your suffering to grow you towards glory. God was with Joseph in the good and the bad, just like he was with Jesus, our Saviour, so that we might know he's with us too when things are hard, particularly because we're doing things his way. And I'm going to pray that we would know that in the coming days and years. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your promise to never leave your people. We thank you that you kept that promise with Joseph. You kept that promise through Jesus. And by faith in your faithfulness, demonstrated in and through Jesus particularly, and his suffering in our place, you promised to be with us and to never leave us, no matter how hard things get, particularly when we're doing things your way. Please help us, nonetheless, to treasure your promise to never leave us and your desire to grow us and mature us in Jesus and the promise of glory in him to help us remain steadfast and persevere, trusting in Jesus and doing what we know you want us to do, even as it brings us trouble. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.